0: Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Word of Life Church, both online and in person. It is the season of Lent and yes, Easter is coming. Pastor Jacob talked about how you can participate with that candy and I say, bring it on. That's how we celebrate. Lent is a time for pulling back, right? Lent is a time for fasting, but Easter is a time for feasting. And so uh, bring on that candy. And hey, if you wanna bring jelly beans for the staff, I would not say no to that offering of faith I was, I was coaching youth sports a couple of years ago and I had, uh, uh, they were probably third, fourth grade uh, students who were playing basketball and it was during uh, the Easter season and I told them, I said, hey, when you get candy in that Easter basket, you got to bring coach some of that Easter candy. Now I was totally joking, uh, except the next practice after Easter, this kid brought this ginormous container of jelly beans. So you can go and do likewise if you so feel compelled to do so good to see you here this morning. My name is Pastor Derek. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Word of Life. And it is the season of Lent. And Lent is a time for confession and repentance. Lent is a time for fasting. Lent is a time for drawing back and turning away from sin and turning to Jesus that's what we're doing in this season, and we are doing it in preparation for resurrection joy and for Easter. And so, in this season, and today's the second Sunday in Lent, during this season, we want to know nothing among ourselves but Christ crucified. Uh, that's the, the vibe of this season. We want to be focused on Christ crucified. And here on Sunday mornings during the season of Lent this season, we are focusing on Jesus the healer. And these two themes are connected, uh, focusing on Jesus and his suffering and his ultimate crucifixion and death and his healing ministry. These things are connected. Uh, Matthew in his gospel says this, Matthew chapter 8, talking about the work of Jesus In Matthew 8, that evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus, and He cast out the evil spirits with a single command, and He healed all the sick. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, who said, He took our sicknesses and He removed our diseases." So every Sunday in the season of Lent, we are going to encounter Jesus in his healing ministry. Last Sunday, we saw Jesus and the faith of friends, Uh, the faith of these four friends that wanted to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And they couldn't get in through the door of the house where Jesus was preaching and so undeterred and by faith, they, they ripped open uh, the roof and they lowered their friend down to Jesus. Today, as you've heard in the gospel reading, we are going to encounter the healing of a boy with epilepsy. And we're going to find today why we still are bringing the sick to Jesus. Uh, But let's look at these scriptures in Luke chapter 9, starting with verse 37. Luke 9, 37, that's where we're going to start. The next day after they had come down the mountain, a large crowd met Jesus. Jesus and his disciples are coming down a mountain. Well, what mountain is this? This is the Mount of Transfiguration. If you will remember two weeks ago at the end of the season of Epiphany, that's where we were. We were with Peter and James and John on top of the mountaintop, the, what we call the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James and John, they saw Jesus and his, his clothes became dazzling white and his face began to shine with the glory of God. So in Luke's gospel, that happened the day before. And so this healing account in the life of Jesus, it's the the next day. They're coming down the mountain. The disciples had seen Jesus in his glory. They had seen Elijah and Moses and heard the voice. And now they're coming down from the mountain into the valley. Verse 38, a man in the crowd called out to him, teacher, I beg you to look at my son, my only child, an evil spirit keeps seizing him, making him scream. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. So this boy here is experiencing these seizures and they are painful and they are traumatic And his dad, like any dad who sees his son suffering, is trying to do something about it. So the dad takes his son to the disciples of Jesus and apparently they weren't able to do anything. And so this father's bringing his boy to Jesus. And then Jesus says, this is verse 41, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? Then he said to the man, bring your son here. I've always felt in reading this account that Jesus was just a wee bit harsh with the disciples. I always kind of take the side of the disciples in this one. Then they're doing their best. They tried, but I think Jesus was just a little bit harsh. It's almost like Jesus is like a football coach who works week after week and practice after practice in installing an offense and giving the players the play to play. And then they have their first game and the players fail to execute. And at halftime, you know, the coach is like, come on guys, we've been practicing this. I kind of feel like Jesus in this moment is saying to his disciples, come on guys. But to the father, he says, bring your son here. That's the words of Jesus to this father. Bring your sons here. Bring, your, bring this, this event to me. Bring this pain to me. Often when we encounter sickness and suffering, when it comes upon us suddenly, often we don't know what to do. We don't know how to react. We don't know how to feel. But one thing that we can do is we can bring it to Jesus. Jesus. Have you experienced that? You know, those moments of life, it's the cancer diagnosis. It's the sudden divorce. It's the unexpected layoff. It's the unforeseen tragedy that comes crashing into our life. And we don't know what to do. And in those moments, Jesus says, bring your son here. Bring your sorrow here. Bring your sickness here. Bring that pain here. Jesus says, bring the sick here. Let's continue on with the story. Verse 42, as the boy came forward, the demon knocked him to the ground and threw him into a violent convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. Then he gave him back to his father. In missionary circles, this is known as a power encounter. The power of death met the power of life. The power of evil met the power of pure goodness. The power of hell met the power of the healer. And healing prevailed. And then check out the result. Verse 43, awe gripped the people as they saw this majestic display of God's power. It was power that had gripped the imagination of these people. And it wasn't just power in terms of God's raw strength in order to do something. Rather, it's God's majesty, God's magnificence the glory that Peter, James, and John saw on the mountaintop just the day before, now the crowds are able to see that same glory in the valley in the healing of this boy. And the people were able to see the glory of Jesus in this healing ministry because the father obeyed the words of Jesus when Jesus said, bring your son here. And I believe that Jesus is saying the same thing to the church today. Jesus is saying, bring the sick to me. And so we say, yes and amen. The entire ministry and mission of Jesus is about Jesus coming from heaven to earth to reveal to us God's heart for us to reveal God's plan for God's world. And so when we follow Jesus through the gospels, what we see Jesus doing is going around and doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. It was the healing ministry of Jesus that became a sign pointing to the arrival of the kingdom. It was a a kingdom sign. Jesus, when he was doing good and healing all who were oppressed, when he was was healing the sick, when he was was bringing wholeness to those who were broken, it was one big sign pointing to the kingdom of God that the kingdom had come. That Israel's long-awaited Messiah King had come. See, taking us back to Matthew chapter eight, Matthew said when Jesus was healing people, he was doing so that it would fulfill the prophecies of Isaiah. Some 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah said, when the Messiah comes, when the King comes, bringing the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God to the earth, when it comes, it will include miracles of healing. This is in Isaiah 53, starting in verse four. Again, 700 years before Jesus ever came, Isaiah said this about the coming of the king and the kingdom. Yet it was our weaknesses. Matthew interprets that as sicknesses. It was, yet it was our sicknesses he carried. It was our sorrows. And Matthew in Matthew 8 translates that diseases. It was our diseases that weighed him down and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. Again, seven centuries before Jesus, Isaiah is describing the servant king who would come and bring God's kingdom. And when he would come, he would suffer in such a way that he would carry away our our weaknesses and sorrows, our sicknesses and diseases. This would be what happens in the reign of God when the kingdom comes. And Isaiah continues But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And Jesus, again, fast forwarding 700 years, Jesus indeed would be whipped. He would be scourged and crucified. And somehow Isaiah was forecasting that through the woundedness of Jesus, healing would flow. And I find it interesting that the Apostle Peter, after Jesus' death and burial, resurrection and ascension, reflecting back on the death of Jesus, Peter uses this same language. 1 Peter 2.24 uses the same language from Isaiah the prophet. Peter, reflecting on the death of Jesus, says he... Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and to live for what is right. And by his wounds, you are healed. Jesus carried our sins into his own body on the cross that he might take away our sins, take away our brokenness, take away our sin, our shame, and yes, our sicknesses and diseases. This is the good news that's buried in the sorrow of Lent. The good news is that Jesus did not suffer for no reason, but he suffered for our salvation. He suffered for our healing. Jesus came and took into his body our sin and sicknesses that we might be made whole both inside and outside. Jesus has come as a healer who wants to heal us, body and soul, body and mind. And so we as followers of Jesus, we we bring sick people to Jesus, whether their brokenness is in their bodies or their minds or their emotions. I hope that you're beginning to see through this series that Jesus came to be a healer and Jesus is still in the healing business, amen? We believe that Jesus still cares for us and Jesus is still healing us. Jesus cares for all of us. Jesus cares for all that makes us human, both the outside of us, our physicality, our human bodies, and the inside of us. In other words, Jesus cares for our physical health and our emotional mental health as well. And so I'm wondering, church, can we agree together to remove the stigma away from mental illness? As followers of the healer, can we come together and say that Jesus who cares for all of us, can we remove that stigma and say that there are some people, their suffering is a physical sickness. Other people who are suffering, they're suffering because of damaged emotions. Because mental illness is real and Jesus cares for those who are suffering. Not just physically, but emotionally and mentally. I'm gonna tell you a story. Pastor Stephanie Lobdell is the campus pastor at Mount Vernon Nazarene University in Ohio. And before she was a campus pastor, she pastored churches in Idaho and in Missouri. And she tells her story in her book, Signs of Life, Resurrecting Hope Out of Ordinary Losses. And she tells a story about how when she was a teenage girl, she felt a definite call to ministry. She felt called by God to serve in full-time vocational ministry. And so after high school, she enrolled at Mid-American Nazarene University in Kansas City, and she declared a ministry major. She was gonna pursue ministry studies. And and, and during that time, she tells her story that her heart was drawn in particular to cross-cultural missions. She wanted to be a missionary. And so she enters into the university and she's working hard and she's studying and she's learning and she's growing. And then in her third year, she hit a wall. She was wrestling, as she describes in her book, with doubt, with shame. And she would have these bouts of, of real heaviness and despair. But as she describes it, she has a can-do, will-do kind of attitude. And she used all of her Enneagram 3 energy just to press on and to press in and kept going and doing and pressing down and ignoring this heaviness that would come upon her until those bouts of heaviness became a daily occurrence. And she was completely fatigued and she knew something was wrong. So she goes to her doctor and her doctor, they run tests and they check her family history and they ask her, uh, do you have a history of depression in your family? Yes. And you know, they go through the interview and all that. And at the very end, the doctor says, well, uh, you have a, a, a diagnosis of depression. And she was shocked. She was like, what? because as she tells it in her, in her book, she says, I was called to be a missionary. And and, and how many of you have ever seen a depressed missionary? I I can't be, I can't, this can't be right. So the doctor prescribes medication and she says when she goes to the pharmacy to get her medication, she cried. because she thought in that moment, as a third year university student, that everything she was dreaming for, that her future in ministry was over. So she writes about that moment in in her book, Signs of Life, and this is how she describes it. She said, I heard a slow creaking that grew louder and ended abruptly with a slam. Bam. The door of my future was closed. I was disqualified, flawed, broken, damaged goods. The future I had imagined, had planned for, had worked for, was dead. So there I sat, isolated, afraid, adrift, unseen, the waters rising up to my neck. Have you ever felt like that? Have you had those quiet moments of despair that are about to overwhelm you? Pastor Stephanie felt like this was the end. She had dreamed of going into ministry. And again, I've already told you the end of the story. She goes into vocational ministry. But in that moment, as a college student, she thought it was over. But what she did was she took her pain to Jesus. She began to learn how to pray the Psalms. She learned that the language of the Psalms taught her that you can take your struggles to God, that you can be honest and vulnerable in the presence of God. You can express your weaknesses and doubts in the presence of God. She also began to find that the medication that she was prescribed was a means of God's healing grace in her life, which I think is a beautiful part of her story. Because she learned that it's okay to have Jesus and a therapist too. It's okay to recognize that I love Jesus and I'm taking Jesus, all my sorrow, my pain, my suffering. And I'm also going to see a mental health professional. That's okay too. She took her pain to Jesus and she began to experience new life. And she would go on to seminary and do her MDiv, and then serve these two churches before serving as a campus pastor. And she writes as she reflects back uh, on her mental health journey. She, she writes with these words. Sometimes the depression slips back in like an unwelcomed house guest or a reoccurring rash. In those times, I find myself crying out to God like Hagar at the well or like David in the cave Wondering once again if the future is dead, if all is lost. I question whether God truly hears the cries of someone like me with nothing extraordinary to commend myself to the world. But I also, but I am also finding over and over again God's persistent willingness to reveal God's self to me as El Roy, the God who sees the God who sees even a small town pastor and to make way of resurrection. Jesus is the healer and invites all of those who are sick, whether it's inside stuff or outside stuff, to come to him to experience what Pastor Stephanie calls signs of life and resurrection. And I appreciate her vulnerability in letting us know that mental illness is real and that there is hope and healing available. And so as a church, we do believe that part of our responsibility in loving one another is is bringing the sick to Jesus, whether their sickness is inside stuff or outside stuff. And we bring sick people to Jesus in our prayers. You know, what we've learned about prayer is that the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we think God ought to do, but to, say it with me, be properly formed. Right? If you've been through prayer school, you've learned that. This is the primary purpose of prayer is to live in union and and, and connectivity with God in such a way that we are becoming more like Jesus, that we're being properly and rightly formed. That's the primary purpose of prayer, but that's not the only purpose of prayer. There's also a place in prayer where we bring to God those needs that we have and we bring to God the needs of those around me. There's a place of prayer where we, like the four friends of the paralytic man, bring the sick to Jesus and we do so in our prayers. Listen to these words in James chapter five. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Again, yes, if you're suffering hardships, you need to be properly formed. And so, yes, through your suffering, you should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises, right? Out loud to God with the congregation. Don't let just the people up here sing out loud. You sing out loud too. If you're happy, James says, sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and to pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well and if you have committed any sins you will be forgiven there is a prayer of faith for the healing of the sick and there's a a prayer of faith that comes from well James calls them elders. Here at Word of Life, we call them pastors. There's a a prayer of faith that goes along with anointing with oil for the healing of the sick. And so today we're going to do that. For those of you who are in person, um, after your time of communion, we'll have two healing lines. Uh, Pastor Jacob will be on one side, I'll be on the other side. And after you receive communion, if you are in need of healing, we invite you to come and to receive the anointing with oil and the prayer of faith for healing. We believe in that. We're gonna practice that today. So there is this prayer of faith that comes from church leaders, but there's also another kind of prayer of faith. There's a prayer of faith that comes from a prayer from each other, a prayer from one another. James continues, this is verse 16. Confess your sins to each other. Right? The, the roots of Christian confession, the ancient roots, is not just going to confess your sins to a religious holy man, though there's validity in that, but the ancient tradition from James 5 is that we confess our sins to each other. There's something powerful about verbalizing and acknowledging your sins, not only to God, but to one another. James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James says the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So here James lays out for us A part of our ministry as the body of Christ in representing Jesus who is the healer is praying for one another, confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another when we're going through hard stuff. When we're in need of healing, we have this sense of family responsibility to be praying for one another. Because when we do that, we're showing our love for one another. And when we pray for one another for healing, we do pray that God heals them and that God heals them now. But we recognize that sometimes healing comes right now, and sometimes healing's delayed. Sometimes God does healing by just straight by miracle and it's instantaneous and it happens. But more often than not, healing's delayed and sometimes healing isn't even experienced in this age. It happens in the age to come. Sometimes healing, though, is through pure divine intervention. God heals and there's a miracle. And sometimes that healing comes through medicine. And sometimes that healing comes from a weaving of the two. We believe that Jesus is the healer. And so Jesus is the source of our healing. But it might flow through miracle, might flow through medicine. And we say, thank God for both of them. I know for me, when I'm praying for people, and I'll, I'll do it today, when I'm praying for people, I am praying that they're healed now, but I recognize that not everyone is healed right now. And so some people journey through life fighting battles against various sicknesses and diseases. But what I have become convinced in is that what people can experience now is the peace of God. And when we're fighting a battle, whether it's, a battle for mental health, where, whether it's a battle for our physical health, what we need and what we can believe to receive is the peace of God demonstrated in Jesus, the peace of God that we can experience now and today by the Holy Spirit. Listen to these words in Philippians chapter four, starting in verse six. Don't worry about anything, Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. And then you will experience the peace of God, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This is the great exchange. We bring to Jesus our anxieties and our worries and our sicknesses and our pains. And in exchange, what we believe to receive is the peace of God that passes all understanding. Have you ever experienced that? Have you experienced that kind of peace before? When Taylor, our middle son, uh, was born, he was born with a congenital heart defect. And when he was 15 months old, he had to have open heart surgery. Imagine that little 15-month-old little baby had to have open-heart surgery. And when Jenny and I took Taylor to the hospital, I was a, I was a mixture of emotions as any father would be, right? I was concerned. I, was, I didn't know what was gonna happen. I was nervous. And so we, we took him in. We'd already done all the registration and stuff. And they gave little baby Taylor this medicine to make him sleepy before taking him back to surgery and the nurses came to, to take him back and um, I remember being asked to pray it was me and Jenny it was like my mom and dad there were some other people and I was asked to pray I got halfway through that prayer and I just broke down crying because I was about ready to hand my little child off to these nurses and open heart surgery and so I wasn't doing well and so we go to the waiting room and the surgeon shows up and the surgeon says, hey, I wanna to talk to mom and dad privately, kind of walk you through the surgery, but I just wanna to talk to mom and dad. So the surgeon takes Jenny and I into this little side room. There's three chairs in there and we sit there and he, he walks us through the Ross procedure. It was the name of the surgery. We already knew all about it. We had already researched, we knew. But that surgeon said, is there any questions that you have? And I only had one question because I knew what he was about to do. Crack open my son's chest and move heart valves around. I knew what was gonna happen. I just said, can we pray for you? And the doctor did, the surgeon did the most incredible thing. He slipped out of his chair. He got down on his knees and he held out both of his hands just like this. Jenny grabbed onto one hand I grabbed onto another hand, not too tightly. I didn't want to squeeze that hand. That hand's about to touch my son's heart, but I grabbed onto that hand, the hand that was about to touch the heart of my son, and I prayed a prayer. And I don't know what it was, except that when I stood up, I experienced the peace of God that passes all understanding. And at that moment, I, I was walking in the peace of God. I, I felt peace. We were in the waiting room. We had other family members that were stressing out. And I wasn't. I, and it wasn't because I was forcing myself into some kind of weird emotional state. I was experiencing peace. I experienced peace when the nurse would call every 45 minutes with updates. I had peace towards the end when the nurse calls and says, there's some bleeding we're having a hard time controlling. We're having a hard time closing them up. And I said, okay. Hung up that little phone, turned to our family in the waiting room. It's gonna be all right. They're almost done. It was nothing that I did. It was the peace of God. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, two more verses here, because I want you to hear this, particularly those of you who are in that battle, who today you're suffering. I want you to hear these words. Listen to this. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Stand up with me if you're here in the building. I believe we can encounter the peace of God today. And we're going to do so through holy communion and through healing. By the way, Taylor's now a 21-year-old, very healthy young man. The surgery went well. I just realized I didn't tell you the end of that story. Point of that story was that was a moment I just clearly remember of experiencing the peace of God. But we can experience the peace of God right now. And we have this opportunity to come to the table of the Lord. And so in a moment, we're gonna release you and there'll be people down front. And by the way, everyone is welcome. Those of you who are worshiping at home online, quickly get your communion elements. We want you to join us. You can celebrate with us too because everyone is invited to Jesus' table. And during the season of Lent, we want to remember among us nothing but Christ crucified. And Holy Communion helps us to do that. Because when you come down here to the front, someone's gonna be holding a basket of bread and you're gonna hear them say, the body of Christ broken for you. Take that bread. And you're gonna hear someone holding out a cup saying, the body or the blood of Christ shed for you. Dip the bread in that cup and eat And I believe today that you too can experience the peace of God that passes all understanding. And then after you've received communion, you can return to your seat if you would like, or if you do want us to pray for you and anoint you with oil, we'll be set up in the very far ends of the building here and we'd be happy to pray for you. But let's prepare ourselves for Holy Communion by all together making our confession of faith This is how we get ready for communion. We we confess our Christian faith and then we confess our sins. But let's start by altogether making this faith confession. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate And now in the spirit of Lent with with humility and contrition in our hearts, let's make our confession together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. And now this is the table not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, come. Because it is the Lord's will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ Broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you.